Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're talking to a troublemaker. What do you say? Don't worry, this is a good troublemaker for what's best for organisations, a positive agent for change, organisation agility, and aligning people together to a common purpose. Our guest, Andrew Vorster, joins us into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. So let's welcome him into the space. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. It's fantastic to be here with you, TC. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do, sir? I am a self-proclaimed innovation catalyst. I help individuals and organizations think and be more innovative in everything that they do. Wow. If you want the short version, I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. And as mentioned off, uh, off, um, offline, we, we talked about you being the fire starter. I love, love this. And, and the audience can't see this, but you've got a nice kind of fire starter type T-shirt on right now. That's it. Uh, igniting innovation initiatives is my passion. If you want the alliterative version of my marketing strapline. Brilliant, brilliant. And before we kind of jump into the work that you do, and I'm, I'm really interested to kind of get some stories out of your kind of work in this space. What's your journey been like to where you are now? Ah, that goes way back, way back. So I started my journey in technology, specifically um, in university. Um, I'd grown up on a farm in rural Africa. And in those days, this we're talking uh, early 80s. I just left the army. We got conscripted for two years in South Africa. And I had never come across a, you know, a, a, a a gaming machine. I'd never come across a PC. PCs weren't a big thing in 1983 yet. It was all mainframes and medium format computers and that kind of a thing. And I'd started my university degree, which was at that time initially a Bachelor of Commerce. And I discovered these things called computers. And literally, <laughs> I my mind was blown. I became obsessed with the fact of what they could do, you know, and and essentially, I'm a lazy person, and I saw computers as being able to do stuff that I found really boring, repetitive, complex tasks, calculations, simulations, this kind of thing, and my mind just exploded, so I changed the direction of my degree to be um, business information systems, which is... The direction that that went in and my my professional career actually started while i was still at uni one of our uh, professors was running a decent little side hustle out of the uni and this is a tip for anybody that's in academia there uh, he enlisted his um a couple of hand-picked students 
to be consultants for him. And he offered his services out to companies. Don't forget, this was early 80s. There, there, there wasn't many computer consultants or people in technology consultants. It wasn't even a thing back in those days. And he offered his services um, of his students out to companies. And we got good money off that as well. You know, he was the front man. He would go, oh, you know, this company's got a problem over there. See how you could solve that through the application of technology. And that was the key thing. See how you could solve the business problem through the application of technology. Wow. So be, to begin with, that was writing code. You know, I cut my teeth, uh, Pascal, COBOL, Fortran, those kind of languages. Yes, I am dating myself for the <laughs> there. And, and, and then it moved into, you know, it was networking, hardware, um, laying the foundations for this, getting technology across and through the company to be able to, you know, introduce efficiencies and whether it was manufacturing, business process, there was so much opportunity back then. Not that there's, you know, there's even more opportunity now. But I, that's where I started my life and then slowly went through. I moved to the UK over 20 odd years ago, 24 years ago now. And my first job, believe it or not, here in the UK was installing memory chips in computers to enable a Windows 3.1 to Windows 95 upgrade. Wow. <laughs> the reason why I was given that job is because nobody believed what I had been doing in South Africa. Uh, they didn't believe that South Africa, you know, coming from deep, dark Africa, they didn't think that we knew about technology and computers there. Um, but they needed uh, the company that I'd got the job with needed somebody with basic techie skills. And within three months, I had been spotted by management and put into a position of being sort of the translator between the business and IT. The person who knew enough geek speak to be able to translate business needs into technology enablers and enough business speak to be able to translate the opportunities that were being made available by technology to the business to open their eyes. So I became a business systems executive, somebody who sat firmly in the middle of the two camps and brokered both parts of the wow. conversation. From there, it then just, you know, escalated. I ended up getting uh, a couple of CTO positions, one after the other, um, culminating in my last corporate job was as vice president of technology research and development for Visa in Europe, a position that I held for nearly 10 years. Um, until I left them back in 2014 and uh, have been causing trouble by myself ever since then. Brilliant. And has, be, has causing trouble always been kind of part of your uh, disrupting character in, in these kind of companies? Do, do you know many South Africans? I think it's <laughs> sort of in our blood there. Causing trouble. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I use I use the term causing trouble. I'm, I'm causing trouble because for a lot of people, it's like, oh no you know yeah. he's just he's asked that question and yes we know it's blindingly obvious what we should be doing but we've been burying our head in the sand a lot in service of the audience andrew um i've got a question that's kind of popping up my head you, you mentioned this kind of beautiful thing about getting people to think differently okay and you know i've got some ideas of how i go about trying to do that how do you do that how do, when you're working with clients how do you get them thinking differently 
I tell them stories. Now you might laugh. No, that is good. Telling stories, right? But this is something else that goes way back to my growing up in Africa heritage, because rural Africa particularly has got a really rich culture of storytelling. And without knowing it until I actually entered the corporate world, the storytellers in rural Africa taught me a huge amount about the way that I now go about things. Because a storyteller, the storytellers are not, uh, they earn their money through um, the generosity, donations, and payments of, of the community, people around them. And most of these storytellers are nomadic. They move from place to place, they go to village to village. And when a storyteller arrives in a village, the first thing that they will do is they will go and sit down with the elders in the village and they will ask lots of questions. You know, what are the things that the village, what are the challenges that the villagers is facing at the moment? What are the villagers fearful of? What are they excited about? What is the biggest thing that is a problem in their lives today that you haven't yet got an answer to, 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 to uh, help them with? And, and they will sit there and they will listen and they will just ask lots of questions. They won't suggest anything yet. Then they'll get up after they've had their, you know, good session with the elders and the elders have told it from their point of view. They then go around and they will walk around the village and they will arbitrarily stop people and they will ask them the same questions. And they will often see that there's quite a gap between what the people say and what the elders think are the problems. Now think of what I've described and replace the word of storyteller for consultant. And a true, proper business transformation consultant would and should take that approach. You go in and you listen. The elders are the leadership. Their viewpoint is sometimes very different to the people on the ground. But the consultant shouldn't immediately start trying to tell the leadership what needs to be done without first taking the temperature at the ground level and going finding out and seeing whether or not maybe the leadership is maybe misguided in the impression. Maybe they're out of touch. Maybe they've lost touch. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the people down the bottom, the communication lines haven't been clear and they don't understand the direction that the leadership's trying to take them. Yeah. And then the consultant needs to play back, highlight, and whenever I tell stories, my stories are many and vast. Those are the kind of stories that you tell that make people, it just breaks them out of their everyday. And when you light that spark of creativity, that's when they start coming up with ideas. And that's my passion is igniting other people's creativity. I might have ideas and opinions, but the important one is when it's their ideas and opinions. That's my goal is to get other people to think and be more innovative. Love it. I love this. I, I love to hear one of your stories, Andrew. You know, I'm just, uh, I, I love this idea because I, I absolutely agree with you that human beings, we love stories. We relate to them. We're evolved to actually kind of uh, really kind of plug into them uh, and that way, way of learning. Um, 
I'm just going to put on my kind of Sita uh, Confessions kind of cynical hat on for a second. Okay. So how do you get together with a set of uh, leaders within an organization, the elders, if you want to call them that, and get them to listen to stories? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I would be I would be there at the front with my legs crossed waiting for the story, you know, because I'm, I'm all over it. How do you get other people to do that? So um, I, I can only speak from experience in terms of um, you've got to build up trust. Yeah. And trust starts generally on a one-to-one basis and then starts multiplying. So whenever I've gone into a new organization, I will look around for people's whose departments, it doesn't matter, leadership, who I believe have got a glaring problem that nobody else has solved or potentially that I have seen something somewhere else that I think could be applied to solving their problem. In other words, making their lives easier. I go back to the, um, as a lazy person, I always want to make my own life easier. And that uh, manifest says, I want to help make other people's lives easier right yes so so yeah and never con never confuse laziness with being unwilling to work man i work my butt off yes um but i want to be uh somebody who makes your life easy you know i want to be an enabler that's my big thing i love my free time and time off yeah Uh, and i want more of it so i would normally and i do always even now when i take on a client I find a handful of people who I can build up a relationship with. Sometimes um, they're not open to it, but I'll find one or two people and I'll just say, can I have a, a, you know, can we grab a coffee? I've got some stuff I'd love to share with you that I've seen X, Y, Z here, there. I might mention a competitor. I might mention another company, might mention a press release. I might just simply send them an email Um, with an article that I've read and went, hey, saw this and thought of you. Sometimes when I have never, ever met the person, I'll go, hey, so-and-so mentioned your name and I read this today. I've got some thoughts about this. Can we have a chat? Mm. And generally, after a couple of those chats, the people start asking me, you know, could you help out? Could you? And then I would go, well, actually... What's really beneficial if we get a cross-functional group of people. So in my last corporate role, I was fortunate enough um, to be sitting next to the CEO of the organization during one of these leadership, you know, these typical leadership forum away days. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't have a C in front of my title. I was a vice president. So that classified me as part of the senior leadership, but I wasn't sitting at C-suite at all. But I happened to just by accident be sitting next to the CEO of the organization. And there was an analyst that had come in from a third party and done a presentation about the next big, big things that would be impacting our industry. And he was giving his opinion. And the CEO just randomly turned around to me and he said, I'm so sick and tired of hearing from analysts about how they think our company is going to be impacted when I know our people know better than that. And I went, thank you very much. Can I come and have a chat with you? 
Yeah. Because my department that had been set up specifically to do horizon scanning and trend watching had already been harvesting the opinions of our staff, of our own subject matter experts, because the CEO was damn right. The people who had the most insight on how things were going to impact the organization were the people inside the organization, but they had no way of getting that, you know, they're not an analyst, they're not somebody. So we were harvesting all this information as input. We were a research department, and that was the first part of our research, was we started with our own employees going, do we know what we as an organization already know, but nobody shared it? Yeah. So I went to the CEO and I explained to him and I told him what, what he's doing. And he said, um, uh, can we have you, we'll give you a slot on the next board meeting. Can you come tell us a couple of things that we need to know? And so I got an audience with him. I got given a 15 minute slot and I just chose three things that I wanted the people around the table to know about that I thought that maybe they wouldn't have known about. Mm. And the CEO came to me afterwards and he said, I didn't know how much I didn't know. I looked at him because I'd never, ever heard that phrase. You know, do you know what you don't know? So, so my role, that was very specific to my role. So, so not everything is going to be, this isn't a copy and paste job and say, do what I did. And this is going to work for you. Mm. It's giving you an idea of this is the way it worked for me and leading up to that specific point. Cause that did launch my, uh, public speaking career and a whole lot of things. And lots of people don't want to do that kind of a stuff. But the essence of it is relationship building by solving people's problems for them and building up their trust. So what they seeing you is as a, as a trusted advisor, you're not just the techie person who is responsible for keeping the laptop on their desktop running uh, on their desk running yeah you are now a trusted advisor whose opinion they value and that they can call you up and go can we just shoot the breeze we've heard about this thing can you unpack it can you explain it for me do i need to worry about it do i need to know about it you know what is crypto uh what are nfts you know is ai really going to mean that our whole customer service department gets replaced by chatbots you know how is this going to work are we going to have to fire a whole lot of people if you are the person that they are picking up the phone to as opposed to they're having that conversation in a vacuum and you just get told we've made a decision. This is what we're going to do. Mm. If you're the person that's the trusted advisor, that's when you start having a real impact in the organization. That's when you start really fulfilling your role and objective of what you're supposed to be doing. Brilliant. I love it. You know what? You've inspired me to become a storyteller. I want to be go, I want to go to Africa and become one of these nobody storytellers. That's a wonderful idea. I, I love the uh, idea of listening, you know, and just gathering the information and then creating a narrative out of that. That inspires, lighting the fires. Um, so th th this is great. And I'm sure this is going to inspire and light some fires out there, hopefully in the audience, um, not just here in the, in the kind of host seat. And I want to kind of touch on leadership. Because obviously, you know, you've got a lot of experience working in organizations of various sizes um, and you sit in a very kind of privileged uh, position where you get to see. Uh, but first of all, I want to know how you roll as a leader. You know, what, what's, the, what's the style of leadership that's worked for you or hasn't worked for you? I, I, I've adopted various styles depending on the role, the situation, and also even within a particular role, I might have different leadership styles with different groups of people. 
some people, some uh, um, specific types of people and archetypes might need a more command and control um, where I am the monarch. Yeah. I'm quite happy to listen to my trusted advisors, but what I say goes. Yeah. Um, that may be appropriate in some uh, situations and some parts of the organization and, and in some relationships. Um, it's often the case that I've used in outsourced relationships where I go, um, we, we have a relationship here, but at the end of the day, you're a supplier and I'm paying to get things done. You'll do what I say. I'm happy to listen to advice that might change my mind, but essentially you here to execute and do what I do. My preferred style is that of complete collaborative, where I'm more of what you would uh, be a, a leader and a, a, a captain of a team, in yeah. a sports team. I love working with people. I love hiring people that are far smarter than me, yeah. way cleverer than me. I, I don't like being the cleverest person in the room. I'm not learning anything. I know it's a cliche, but the best teams that I've ever worked with, the people are all smarter than me. And, and I'm not there to be the smart person. My preferred style is always though, hey, I may be designated as the captain. It just means I take all the messy stuff when it hits the fan. Mm. I shield you from the corporate politics and everything that goes on. But we collaboratively are here to do something together. And I can't do it by myself. There is no ways I can do it with myself. I need every single one of you. That's my preferred leadership style. However, you can't always use your preferred leadership style in any single position. Absolutely. Yeah. The life's not made of cookie cutter kind of situations. So that's that's great advice. And and again, um, from your position where you sit now and you look out at leaders uh, and we've got tech leaders listening to the uh, listening to this podcast right now. What, what kind of style, you know, is that the kind of style of leadership that you see that works best is kind of adaptive that that defaults to collaborative and then reverts to maybe uh, command and control or, uh, you know, King and Andrew version, you know? I, I would say first what works the least. What works the least is leaders that I've come across, and this is particularly within technology, but not limited to technology, because I've come across these kind of leaders in other parts of the organization as well. But the leaders who believe, firstly, that they know everything, <laughs> no. and secondly, that they are the only one that is responsible for delivering whatever the team is required to deliver. So it's them only, and therefore that gives them the right to dictate what needs to be done. And they don't accept that there are things that they might not know and they're not open to other people's opinions. Those kind of people, big egos, they're always right. You cannot tell them that they're wrong, uh, that always insist it's my way or not, that tend to micromanage a lot, mm. that they, you know, um, why aren't you doing this? I told you that the only way that we have to do things here is containerization. And that's the only way that we're going to do it. And we're never going to do it any other way. And, and no matter what, if somebody goes, it's not appropriate for this project, they go, you do it my way. I'm, I'm telling you that. That works the least. 
if you want to lead and inspire a team, you have to first and foremost recognize that you are never going to know everything yeah. about any topic. You are never. You may be a deep subject matter expert, but to think you know everything that there is to know about a topic is a fatal flaw. Mm. You should always be open to be challenged. You know, obviously, uh, I, I'm, I don't uh, um, deal well with people disrespecting me if it's not deserved. If I do something that's deserving of somebody's disrespect, then yeah. I, I want to be called up on it because I, I don't want to be behaving in that way. But, but people who act in this, I disrespect immediately because I go, you know, um, the only thing that you're showing me is you're not as smart as you think you are because if you were as smart as you think you are, you'd know that you're not as smart as you think you are. You know, yes. it's it, it's one of those so that leadership style just simply doesn't work and i meet a lot it happens a lot in startups where i see people attracted to the cto position or hired into the cto position straight out of a techie background they'll be a an absolutely ace architect or they may be the best programmer that you've ever seen. You know, they know Go like nobody else knows, and they can sit and they can just churn out code or whatever. Um, but they really are a deep techie. And then they get their first C-level position. Yeah. It, you know, and and a CTO in a startup, that that's not a real CTO. Come on, please. I'm sorry. I, you know, the C position in a startup... No, anyway, we won't get me started down that one. Um, but you're a tech leader and, and you're in a startup. And I see the people there where they have no idea how to leverage the team. They have no idea how to delegate. They have no, The only way that they know is how to attempt to get people to be clones of them because they want people to be clones of them because they believe that they're the only one who know, knows how to do something. Yeah, those people fail and they fail repeatedly. The first rule of leadership is understanding that you will never have all of the answers and that's okay. A lot of people feel pressured when they do achieve tech leadership positions. They feel pressured that if they say to their team, I don't know the answer, that their team will lose respect because they think that in front of their team, they have to have all the answers. That's why they're the leader, aren't they? Yeah. No, wrong. If you've got a leadership position, if you don't know the answer, your job is to find the answer and find out what skills, you know, your team might not have the answer and that's also okay, but find out where you can find the answer. Go look for the answer, get the help that you need, get the skills that you need, train the team. If you don't have the answer to something, do not be afraid to say, I don't have the answer, but I know how to go and find it. Hmm. That's what makes you a leader. So leadership style, if that's collaborative, if that is ad humble, if that is admitting to your team, the kind of a leader who is willing to say, I don't have all the answers, but I know where to find them. That style of leadership instills trust, gets people to follow you, and earns the trust of your peers around the organization as well. Because they won't be going, oh, that, that's just Barry Big Balls, you know. 
that person just thinks they know everything. As a matter of fact, they're quite blimming arrogant. Mm. If you get that label, it's hard to shake it off. I would say near impossible to shake it off. And I've met a lot of those people in IT positions. I've met a lot of them in leadership positions. Mm. They don't have the respect to their team. You know, mm. people just go, oh, that arrogant so-and-so, that, you know, so difficult. You'll lose your best staff, you'll lose your best talent, and you won't get the best out of your team. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I think that's really good advice because I think, uh, um, and the interesting point you make there is, is around uh, creating an imprint in people's minds about the, the, the way you can be and, and some some rabbit holes where you can go down in leadership do actually kind of block you off from ever kind of recovering from that. Coming on to uh, a statement that we made, you made uh, when we first kind of met, which I thought was quite interesting. I want to bring that into the space because uh, um, <laughs> and it, it was around kind of CTOs. Um, and, and your kind of thoughts on that. Do, do you want to share your thoughts on, on the subject? Okay, that I, yeah, the reason why I went, uh-oh, is because this is this is the provocative viewpoint. This is the bit that people might uh, start start flaming me and throwing things at the uh, at the uh, screen or throwing their, their phone away if they're having a podcast. Right, so here's the provocation. I believe that if you have a C in front of your designation, CTO or CIO, and you have held that position for more than a year, and your company suddenly makes an announcement about the fact that they are starting a digital transformation, you should be fired. It's as simple as that, you should be fired. In my opinion, you have not fulfilled the role of a CTO or a CIO if now they're going, oh, we're about to start a digital transformation. Please let's throw that blooming terminology out the window, mm. a digital transformation. In my opinion, when you reach the designation in a company that has the C in front of it, CTO or CIO, your role and responsibility is business first. You are a business leader. You happen to have deep domain knowledge about how technology can enable the business to achieve its goals. But your responsibility is helping the business move forward to those goals. Mm. And if you were doing your job properly, you would know that the long-term success of any organization is largely dependent on its ability to continually adapt and respond to the constantly changing world around us. And those organizations that cultivate a culture of continuous change and transformation that is enabled and accelerated by appropriate governance, process, and technology are the ones that are best placed to leverage change for competitive advantage. And they will be able to res respond in a proactive manner to the impacts and implications that those changes have on the staff, the business models, the ecosystem in which they operate, consumer behaviors and society in general and to me as a cto or cio 
from the minute you stepped your foot in the door, you should have been cultivating that culture of continuous change and transformation. Because I see far too many times this label of we are about to embark on a digital transformation project. Oh, what a load of nonsense. How did your electrification transformation project go then? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. Technology has been around for years and your role as a business leader with deep domain expertise around technology should always have been helping to enable and accelerate the business to achieve its goals. And if you had been doing that, there would be no such thing called technology trans, di sorry, digital transformation project. You would have already been constantly transforming the business to respond, adapt, and leverage those changes. Yeah. So that's my provocative statement around if I see one of those press releases again, I'm going to hunt down the CTO <laughs> and I'm going to send a me message to the CEO and go fire that person. Yeah, that's a, obviously a very strong statement. Um, I do see where you're coming from because continuous learning and continuous transformation, especially in the innovation storm that we live in nowadays, it needs to be the water that we swim in, you know, and and I, I, I agree that it's part of the kind of C-suite's role to, to be to be enabling that and maintaining it. Their role is to set it up and to maintain the fact you know, it keeps kind of going and, and enabling it and getting blockers out of the way. So yes, uh, yeah. I'm. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I, I love provocative statements here. You know, this is what CTO Confessions is about. So thank you, Andrew. That's, that's brilliant. So as we come towards the end arc of our time together, unfortunately, I want to just get some uh, uh, kind of little bits and bobs from you. And um, one of the things I love to uh, find out from leaders, tech leaders and innovation leaders like your kind self is, um, you know, what are the things that kind of artifacts, books, uh, talks or, um, you know, particular kind of lectures that have been really instrumental in your kind of journey that you think that was a gateway, that that's what made the difference? So I, I there's only one in terms of a book um, and lots of people have probably read it already, but the one that stood out for me is Simon Sinek, Start With Why. And I'm telling you, it, it's obvious in hindsight when you look at it, and it doesn't only apply to the way that Simon Sinek uses it in terms of, of uh, product development. Everything, you've got to go back to starting with why. Why, why does the person want or need change or technology or innovation? Start with the why. Understanding the why is critical to everything that flows from there. And I've got a, a, a bit of a habit. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was on stage at my first physical event in a long time, a couple of weeks ago, and I made myself a t-shirt um, as my superhero alter ego called Professor Y. And it's a big logo with a Y that looks like a Professor X from, you know, Xavier from X-Men <laughs> kind of a thing, but this is just a big Y and I'm Professor Y because I ask why and why not a lot of the time. And that was all sparked by many years ago, reading Simon Sinek's and me going, man, this just makes so much sense. Start with why, then move on to how, and finally the what. So every time you approach 
a problem and you start with that why, then you start building the how, and finally the what may or may not involve technology as an enabler. Sometimes it may require process change or business model change, but instead of starting with the what at the end, when you start with a why, it unlocks so much more. So that to me is my favorite book. Uh, the only book actually that I can recommend, I read lots of books and I they're forgettable. I, yes. <laughs> I've got about three on the go at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I read lots of processes, methodologies, frameworks, and that kind of a thing. Um, and I would, uh, I, I would be quite happy to recommend that you uh, follow a framework that of my own devising, where I help people to do horizon scanning by searching for tips, technologies, innovations, patents, and startups. I can go and look on my website and, and see more about the methodology. And I have created a framework that helps people articulate the impacts and implications back to their business and might help start them on their journey as well. So Brilliant. there's another tip for a framework. <laughs> That's great. And we'll, we'll have that information on the web page for the podcast. So uh, uh, audience, you know, please take a look and, uh, and take um take the valuable information that kind of Andrew is offering there and I've got an, I've got an interesting well fun kind of question for you here if I was a tech genie Andrew okay imagine me I've gone all kind of blue and I've got a ponytail and I'm going to offer you a wish a tech wish for your tech leadership or your innovation leadership what would that wish be okay my wish isn't for tech leadership and innovation leadership, although it might be a challenge for them, my, my wish is for the entire tech industry. I wish that you as a genie could help us to figure out how to reduce the amount of waste in our industry. There is insufficient reuse and recycling still after all these years and tech waste is a massive problem. I don't, I, I can't remember uh, the the figures of the, the millions of tons of tech waste. And if I just look at my garage, I have got hundreds of kilograms of tech that is probably still usable to a number of people. It's just that I can't get it to them in parts of the world where that tech would still be deemed to be um, good tech to use. Here in the UK, nobody wants my stuff. So disposal, disposal, reuse, recycling within our tech industry. If you're a tech leader that can figure out how to make our stuff more modular and easier and better for the environment, that to me is my biggest and most fervent wish within the tech industry. Brilliant. And you know what, Andrew? I know another Andrew that's uh, been a previous guest to this podcast that is working in that space, in, a, in an aspect of that space. It's the, the end of the end of the life cycle. So I will share that with you. And uh, it's great to hear that you're passionate about this as well. And, and as we kind of part company, as we come to a full stop in the podcast, what's your part parting gift to the tech leader men and women out there as a key takeaway? So my key takeaway goes straight back to the start with why of Simon Sinek. Do not underestimate the power of understanding people's motivations when they come to you 
and either ask for or you are suggesting technology as a solution to their problem. The key part is understanding why. Carry on asking why until you understand what motivates them. And that will lead to you giving them the right solution and for you building up trust and confidence with them. And that will be your superpower. Understanding why will help you on your path in the future and will help you deliver and exceed expectations for everybody else. Brilliant. Great note to finish on, Andrew. Thank you for your time. It's been brilliant having you on board. You're welcome. Fantastic to be here. Well, there you have it. I loved Andrew's description of himself as a fire starter. I have to confess, I'm a bit of one myself and admire his particular style of starting fires. I love to have Prodigy's Firestarter track playing in the background, but hey, we don't want to be creating any copyright infringements, do we? That's not the kind of fire we want to start here. So imagine the track playing in the background as I share with you my key takeaways. Here you go. Coming in at number one, start some fires. I loved Andrew's way of doing this through telling stories. Storytelling is an integral part of the human way and exercising it is a powerful way to lead and fire up creative thinking in the minds of the beholder from where they are in their story. So light some fires in your organisation. My second key takeaway is to create a collaborative system in your organisation. Work hard at doing this. I create a system that self-sustains around collaboration, one that doesn't need too much pandering. A little bit like a wind-up toy. Wind up that system of collaboration in your organisation and then unleash it. As Andrew said, collaborative ecosystems nowadays are the most transformative business models that we have around us. Wise words. My third and final key takeaway is about being an enabler. Build up the trust, warm people up, build those relationships, get together with your people and show an interest in what they think. Hey, that's what my title is within IT Labs, to enable the potential of the fantastic leaders we have in the organisation, i.e. creating the conditions and removing the blockers so that the right magic can emerge from the resources that we have, mainly the creative and resourceful minds of our leaders. So what were your key takeaways? How do you start fires in your organisation for the well-being of the organisation, the customers and the people that work within them? So thank you, Andrew, for inspiring us around this topic. I love your energy. I love your fire. It was wonderful to have you on the CTO Confession space, Andrew, in service of those tech leaders out there. Thank you, Andrew. May the force, I mean the fire, remain strong in you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, 
wherever you are in the world from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.